What's up, everybody? Welcome into a new episode, another episode of the Blue Jay Beat Post Game Podcast, um, sponsored by Court Date. Uh, Courtdate.io is Omaha's new way to play. It's a directory of indoor sports facilities that you can rent for pickup, skills training, or team practice. So I know in this uh, age of kind of trying to find um, places to hoop that are um, socially distanced and obeying COVID protocols. Um, you know, you can use court date to kind of connect with athletic facilities across the metro area that'll offer private rentals for such a, such situations, whether it's practice or if you just want to hoop with the guys or whatever you want to do. If you got a team that needs a facility to practice in, um, visit courtdate.io today to find out more and, uh, um, let them hook you up with the facilities around the area. Um, on the podcast today, we've got Jacob Adilla of hailvarsity.com. Um, there was a lot of backlash at first, Jacob, when I told everybody you'd be on because <laughs> um, you have been a predetermined host, co-host for the home loss to Georgetown, the home loss to Marquette, and the road loss to Butler, which I do believe currently uh, stand as Creighton's three worst losses of the season. Um, and they will lead into a lot of the conversation we're going to have tonight about <laughs> these quote unquote bracket projections. So there was quite a lot of backlash when I decided to have Jacob on the show again. And, uh, honestly, it's just because Jacob has a great basketball mind and he got caught in a little, like a little rut in cursed territory and his confidence was shaken and people's confidence in him was shaken. It was like a perfect storm. So I decided to test out this little curse theory against DePaul, a perfectly winnable game under most circumstances, um, off of 11 days rest regardless, just to see if Jacob was actually cursed or if we could, you know, put, put him, get him back on the winning track and possibly rely on him for some NCAA tournament analysis down the road as opposed to just avoiding him like like it's COVID, basically. So um, I would say the plague, but we now have one, so we can we can reference it properly. Um, but, Jacob, I'm glad to have you back on the show. You know I love you. Um, but I'm glad we got well, you a win so you could show up again and at least uh, smile a little bit and not to worry about it. it. It was also a late tip, so you I don't think you had a lot of options. I'm kind of like, oh, That's Jacob fair. doesn't mind staying up late, so <laughs> – you are my you are my late night go to. I'm not gonna lie. Like he's the first person I'll ask for if I know it's an eight o'clock tip, which usually means a ten to ten thirty post game. Means we're not recording until eleven ish. It's hard to find people <laughs> that are willing to talk <laughs> about basketball for what then turns into an hour plus entering the midnight hour. Um, Jacob's pretty reliable for that type of, you know, not not to uh, typecast him, but that's where he lands. <laughs> so that's not a lie. So yeah, yeah but, um, what's what's uh what's on your mind after the DePaul win? They beat the Creighton wins 77-53. Um probably what six or seven minutes of or seven or eight minutes, I guess. Seven or eight minutes of a little bit of rust being shaken off, and then you know, all was normal in the basketball world again as Creighton kind of opened up a lead and then opened it up further and then played a lot of walk-ons, played a lot of bench players, got the starters some rest. What are your takeaways from what you saw tonight? Remember in late December of last year when DePaul was 12 and one and hashtag rank DePaul was a thing. I do believe, yeah. I do believe 
I don't know if um, this was a media thing that said this or if Dave Lado actually said it to the media, but I believe they were when they were 12 and one after they beat Texas Tech. Or I don't, it wasn't even when they're 12 and one. Whenever they beat Texas Tech, they said they're vanquishing demons. Like they're, they're turning into, you know, that good DePaul again. So yeah, I remember. They, they've won eight <laughs> games since then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. My first thought is DePaul is bad. Particularly the DePaul we saw tonight. Um, yeah, yeah that, no, no Nick Agenda, no Javon Freeman Liberty, who played really well against Creighton the first time, actually. So yeah, they weren't at, they weren't operating at full strength for one thing. They're DePaul yeah, for but, another. <laughs> but it's certainly interesting that they were more competitive without uh, Charlie Moore than they were with him against Creighton. Um, well, we've had that conversation. And, yeah. So, <laughs> the, so the thing about Charlie Moore, I think, is he's he's a skilled basketball player, but. He's not good. He's he's better. He's he thinks he's better than he is. So he tries to do things that he's not capable of. Right. And then it just turns into a lot of bad shots and and, and turnovers. And if he could just understand who he is, he could be a useful basketball player. But he just won't do that. I mean, my theory is that it's not like you know, you're not on a team isn't only as good as their point guard because their point guard can also be a net negative in a large large way so charlie moore has the ability because of the skills that you allude to alluded to to go into queens and absolutely work st john's over and uh you know make posh alexander who had been playing at a really high level look like he didn't belong on the same floor as him um however (laughs) he can also look like he did tonight where he's not shooting very well he's turning the ball over a lot he only because because he only plays at. I was talking to Ravi Lula about this too, on Blue Jay Shooter Round. Charlie Moore plays at one speed, and that speed is just pedal stuck to the floor, and whatever comes from this, good or bad, I'm going to live with, and then rinse, wash, and repeat. So when it starts going bad, the bad piles up, and then you see performances like this, in contrast to what you saw in on Saturday when he earned himself a big East player of the week uh, award out of that performance. So yeah, tonight he was net negative, Charlie on Saturday. He was <laughs> net positive, Charlie. So it's just, that's, yeah. that's what they live with, with that kind of a, kind of a point guard. If he's going to, if your point, if your main, if your main facilitator, your main, your primary ball handler is going to burn that hot on, you know, or that cold, um, your performances are going to vary at dramatic to dramatic degrees. And that's what they did. They looked, they looked amazing on Saturday, scored 88 points, played from the jump the whole way, led by double digits. Most of the time tonight, they got off to an okay start. Creighton got off to a slow start. And then when Creighton started to get their rhythm back, the game was a joke. It wasn't even, it was, you know, the whole roster played for CU got meaningful minutes out of a lot of guys, but that wasn't, that wasn't the same DePaul performance from that, 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 um, we saw on Saturday and it's because yeah, and Charlie Moore wasn't as good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and you definitely, we definitely saw the rust from Creighton uh, coming yep. out and credit to DePaul. They, I think they kind of understood the situation. They did a great job. They're not a great defensive team, but in terms of overall results this season, mm-hmm. but they did a good job. They were really up in Creighton's face. They were making things difficult. Um, 
there were some late clock uh, possessions for Korean where they kind of had to just try to create something out of nothing. Um, and Korean also missed a couple of good looks early on because they hadn't played in 10 days. But I think part of the, the start on DePaul's side, though, was they were hitting some, some tough shots. And they continued to take those tough shots as the game went on. And they stopped going in. And then that's when you get, see, what was it? So they got it up to 30. So it was 11 to three. Creighton outscored them 64 to 26 after that 11 to three start. Good God. To make it 67, 37. That may be worse than the stretch they put together last year on them. 64 to 26. That's absurd. Yeah, you know what? Bad. You know what's you know what's crazy about that is just I'm just just thinking out loud and reacting to that. Sixty four to twenty six. I mean, that felt like a whole hum performance by Creighton. Honestly, it felt like they just oh, yeah. they just kind of got some game reps, knocked the rust off, and they actually whipped DePaul's ass tonight. <laughs> I mean, that's just crazy. Like that. I think that's what this team has done to people. They've normalized ass whippings. Because of last year and this year, you know what happens when they look superb. So everything else underneath that is basically, eh, you know. And that's and that's where we're at because people, yeah. um, I think Max talked about it. I think uh, uh, Nick Ba might have hit on this as well. It's just when you don't get that performance, people are wondering, oh, what's going on? When right. Creighton does win a close game against a, a lesser talented team, it's like, Oh, what, what's wrong with Creighton? Um, mm-hmm. Why aren't they as good as they as we thought they were going to be? And to a certain degree, some of that was definitely true. They weren't playing as well as we thought they could, and I, that they've shown they're capable of. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to blow out everybody by 40 points every single game unless you're Gonzaga, right? Uh, even, even Butler, even Gonzaga, even do. Butler, yeah, yeah, and even Butler almost lost to a really bad Iowa State team, Baylor. Uh, yeah. Ba- yeah, I don't but, like them having a player named Butler on the team. <laughs> that's, that's how yeah. I. I yeah, not, Baylor, Baylor went to there. Baylor went to the wire at home with a really with a terrible Iowa State team. Yeah, Jared Butler and the Baylor Bears. Yes, right, um, right. that team. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, tonight was again. This was a good. This was a good team to draw coming off of that ten day layoff. You were able to. Um, to get the rest you needed to have guys recharged. And then, then you were able to play a team that you're capable of kind of working yourself, uh, working some rust off, kind of getting off to a slow start and then getting, uh, getting more guys involved, kind of getting into what you wanted to do. Um, and again, that was 11 to three start. It was, they were down, um, is it uh, 18 to 11 and then um, they're 18 to 13. And then mm-hmm. they hit them with the, the 10-0 run sparked by Marcus um yeah. and that's kind of when the, the game turned around there they uh yeah they're down to eight, uh, 18 to 13 and then Marcus kind of took over with eight of their 10 in a 10-0 run um he had the tough take in the finish um it's a tough angle finish there for the layup um then he had the the three that he shot against the zone when mm-hmm. DePaul tried to throw that at him mm-hmm. um Christian set the screen for him just wonderful pull up and then he got the catch and shoot three um, during that stretch. And then DJ had the little turnaround bucket. So just like that, um, you're struggling too suddenly. Oh, now we've got control of this game. They hit the three and then Creighton hit him with another 11-0 run. And suddenly it's 34-21 and you're feeling really good about the way Creighton's playing. 
Yeah. No, and then honestly, the first eight minutes, I just, you know, I do think I attribute a lot of it to just the, you know, the, the, how difficult it was for Creighton. I just, I don't know. I feel like, th- you know, we all have internal clocks where we think we have so much time to accomplish, you know, this task. Yeah. Um, and if we're not, if we're not, if our, if we let our mind get out of control, that time can dwindle quicker than we think. And it just felt like that first eight minutes or so for Creighton, their just internal clocks were a little bit out of whack because they weren't used to the game time, the game um, feel, like the game vibe, all that kind of stuff. 100%. So, like, I, you know, you saw a lot of, like, one-side action. I think I tweeted about this. A lot of one-side action for Creighton, which is basically ball gets to left or right side of the floor. It happened to be a lot of left-side action just in early going. But ball gets to one side of the floor and it kind of stays there. It doesn't really, it doesn't reverse. Guys don't really move. There's not a lot of cutting going on. There's maybe one or two passes, a screen, um, a drive, and then you basically set up your shot that way. And I felt like Creighton was just doing a lot of that. And that's not really how they create their good looks. You know what I mean? Because DePaul is loaded, DePaul's defense is loaded ball side. You know what I mean? They overload the strong side. So if you don't reverse it, you're basically just playing, you know, three on five essentially because they're all midline and and they're all mid. They're all basically at the midline and then shifted over to the ball. So if you don't reverse it, you're not stretching that defense out. So basically you're playing three on five at that point. So you're not going to get offensive rebounds and you're not going to get clean, clean looks um in rhythm off the cat off the catch so i felt like it was just forcing a little bit too much you know just they got to one side of the floor and they tried to create a quick easy look um and it just wasn't a great look and i felt like the offense opened up like you mentioned when marcus and christian got in their second rotation and you know they kind of settled into the game a little bit then you saw the ball start to pop around a little bit you saw dj handle it you saw mitch handle it you saw denzel handle it and it's just like everything moved the whole court was used DePaul's defense got stretched out, and that's when driving lanes opened up. That's when um, kick out weak side threes were open. Uh, it just that, that first eight minutes, it took a little bit to, to get the feel back for what they do offensively. Yeah, 100%. And I think, and that's part kind of where DePaul kind of getting up in their faces a little bit. You saw some off target passes, some risky passes that maybe didn't even lead to turnovers, but kind of took them out of the flow of what they were trying to do. Guys kind of scrambling, and then suddenly now you're down to 10 on the clock and you got to make something happen. Um, so I, I saw a lot of that early on. I, I think Denzel had three turnovers right away um, during that start. And so, um, and we saw some of the, them trying to get the ball to Ryan. It was just guys were just a little bit not on the same page. just a little bit off with the pass or he wasn't quite ready for the pass. Um, there are a couple, couple plays like that. Um, so yeah. It, and that is, it just, they weren't quite ready for what DePaul was going to do to them. Um, and that's, that's the difference between practicing, going through what you're doing in practice and going out against another team and it kind of Creighton thought they were, it felt like they were just trying to do what they wanted to do and not reacted to what DePaul was kind of the way they were playing, what they were doing to them. And that's kind of what happens when you don't play somebody else for so long, but they adjusted and they dominated the last 32 minutes of play. Um, heck, even the. Even the walk-ons at the end only got outscored by one, even though DePaul had their starters still in the game, uh, getting garbage time buckets. So uh, props to those guys. 
Yeah, we can talk about the bench a little bit too, because I thought they were pretty good. That 100%. <clears throat> I think you can clearly tell that the bench got a lot of quality reps in that in that ten day off break. You know what I mean? Ten days without games. Yeah. And because um, I thought I thought, I thought Antoine, Antoine I thought Antoine was moving a lot better, and defensively too. I thought he was really uh, you know he wasn't getting beat so much on straight line drives like he usually does. Uh, I thought he was better defensively. You know, not 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 great, but you know, still much improved yeah. and uh you know i thought he was really you know he was really opportunistic but not careless with his when he put the ball on the deck i thought he was making really good reads really good plays even if they didn't lead to easy scores he was making the right play out there on offense which is good to see i thought alex o'connell forced a couple things but for the most part i liked his aggressiveness because you know he does have this ability to knock down shots for sure i, I think he'd probably be we could probably easily say he's the best knockdown shooter of the bench guys, right? So him just coming in and getting shots up that are in rhythm. Uh, he had one clean off the catch on the wing that he missed, but he also had a tough dribble pull up that he nailed. Um, so you kind of like take the good, you know, you'll probably give him the open one on the wing most times and not give him the dribble pull up most times. So to go one out of two on that is basically what you would hope for. Um, you know, and I just think, I think that's good because you want a guy to cut. Like I said, that's, that's kind of what Creighton's missing right now is someone off the bench who can just be super aggressive, um, take open shots, be a scorer, um, take the load off the, t- the, the main five guys, um, you know, and Kalkbrenner's a good change of pace with, with, with Bishop because he's really good in the low post. You can get him on the block, that kind of 10 foot area extended from the low, uh, from the low block and he can back a guy down and go to that hook shot. Um, I thought the bench and then Sharif, I, the other thing was, I thought Sharif and Marcus played a lot together tonight. I don't, I, I'll have to just dive into the box scores and, um, the play by plays and to see if that's, if that was true. I don't know if it was just me not having to see the team for two weeks, but it felt like Marcus and Sharif were on the floor a lot at the same time tonight. So that was a little bit of a different wrinkle. Um, if that's, if that's oh, accurate. Um. And so, I just thought everything off the bench was really good tonight. And it's been a, it's been a while since you've seen uh, Creighton play a game where all four guys were really good off the bench and that's going to be huge for them. A hundred percent. And I was kind of feeling the same way throughout um, the game. Cause each of those guys had their stretches, had their moments where you're like, okay, nice. This guy's playing well tonight. Um, you mentioned Antoine. I just wish he could have gotten one or two of those looks to fall just for his sake, for the confidence going. Cause he had, he had good looks and um, I thought he was making good decisions off the bounce and he was pre- pressing his advantage and created some good opportunities off the bounce there. Ended up with two assists. I thought he had uh, created another one or two good situations that didn't lead to assists, but was still a good play by him. Um, and Sharif was solid. He, uh, I think just looking at it here, um, there are three minutes with the, with the bench guys at the very end. Um, so there were about 10 minutes of, actual game time where Marcus wasn't on the court and uh, Sharif played 18 minutes. So he did about half, half his time with uh, Marcus and half his time without. Um, and I thought Sharif made good decisions. He uh, didn't try to do too much. He got in the lane. There was, um, there was one really nice play where he got in um, through like three defenders and somehow squeezed the ball through. Um, I can't remember if it was a hockey assist or if they got it led to a missed shot, but I remember being really impressed by the play he made to kind of set that up. 
Um, he had a good finish early on there. Um, three assists, no turnovers, two steals, uh, plus 10 in his 18 minutes. So, um, yeah, I think that would have been, I think it, that would have been Mike, might have been Marcus's ball reversal three that Sharif created because he, he kicked it out to Denzel and then Denzel um, reversed it cross court yeah. wing to Marcus for a, he made the three. So I think that was yeah. off of Sharif's drill penetration and kick. Yeah, that might have been it. But yeah, and then um, O'Connell, 10 points on four six shooting, hit two threes. You, you mentioned that little um, kind of wonderful hard um, to the baseline pull up. Um, that's a nice play. And it's, again, that's what, that's what games like this are for is to get those guys chances to get out there get quality reps and get some confidence moving on to maybe uh, Alex isn't going to get six or seven shots in the next game against, uh, against uh, Xavier or against UConn, but he might get two or three and it could be huge if you could get one or two of those to go down. So just to have him get out there and coming off this break, knock down a few shots um, I think that's good for his confidence and for the bench production going forward. And then Ryan, um, kind of a pretty typical Ryan game. I thought early on he looked a little um, kind of slow to react and wasn't quite ready to play out there. And just kind of all the things you talked about team wide where just looked a little sluggish and all of that wasn't necessarily on him. Um, a couple of the kind of miscues were probably equal parts him and the guy trying to get him the ball. Um, but then he also had some really nice plays, real nice patience to, to finish some dunks. I, I think you clipped the, the play where Marcus uh, drove baseline and jumped out of bounds and dumped it off to him. Wasn't he that, I mean, like, let's, let's nerd out for that for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> you know, when here's the, here's the, here's the connection I'm going to try to make for people is like, you know how, and I'm doing this mainly for outlook perspective because Creighton has a really good recruiting class coming in. And I think people are really excited about that. And I've actually seen some debate about whether people actually want Marcus Zagorowski to return next year or not, because it'll affect the future or the immediate future versus like, and it's just like, and my reaction to that is always laughter because of plays like that. And it's whenever freshmen get to the division one level, whatever level it is, if they're at the mid-major level, high major level, it doesn't matter if they're, if they're five stars, if they're one and dones, it does not matter. They all struggle with the adjustment to the speed of the game. And the speed of the game is just a comfort level that you get when you're out there, like that you have an ability not to just like your mind, you're able to slow your mind down and see things as they're happening, not, panic out there basically so a freshman in Marcus's situation right there like driving to the rim a defense collapsing jumping out of bounds a true freshman isn't going to make isn't going to be able to turn his head see a see his own teammate and sneak a pass through a bounce pass through defenders like kind of out of his pocket for an easy dunk that is an advanced high level point guard because his well, and even the, the game has to be going in slow motion for him to not be freaking out and just throwing the ball up into the air into the backcourt hoping one of his guys gets it. He actually had the he actually had enough time in his mind to leave his feet, turn his head, see Ryan coming, drop a little perfect bounce pass through the bolt through both DePaul defenders and for the easy dunk. That is just super yeah. high level stuff that I don't it goes down as an assist in the box score. But it's not an assist every player can make. You have to be yeah. experienced. And 
forget freshman. Mitch kind of had a similar-ish play where they had that oh, right. advantage yeah. where Mitch drove baseline and tried to kind of jump baseline and do the drop-off pass. Mm -hmm. And he threw it right into Ryan's leg, I think it was, for the turnover. And right. Mitch is a really good passer. Yes. So, like, that's a, a senior out here who's a very good passer and decision-maker. Even he couldn't pull off a, a similar play. Um, and he his wasn't even as difficult of a pass to make as Marcus's was, right. uh, and he couldn't do it. So, so yes. So the actual ability to complete the pass is one thing. The other thing I, I thought that looked good. I thought Marcus looked really um, quick out there. I thought he was getting to his spots. He showed a lot of burst. Yeah. And that's something that uh, kind of on and off throughout the first part of the season where you didn't really see where he was struggling to get to his spots on the court. And it wasn't all just because of the physicality or whatever. There were times where he just wasn't beating guys off the dribble. And tonight he did a great job uh, that, that finish that kind of sparked the, the run that I talked about early on. Yeah. It was um, off, off two a, feet, off he, two feet runner, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of, he put his head down, got it just enough of a burst to, to get his hips past him and then rose up and finished. And he was getting past his man and shooting forward a lot. And that was a play just like that, where he just kind of exploded to the rim. I thought it looked almost like he got pushed like out of bounds, the way he kind of carried out of bounds there and then suddenly he's dropping it off i'm like geez well you know what's really good about what he does uh he's a very good stop and start guy like he's very good yes. at changing speeds on the fly so that first burst that that you're talking about is really important because it gets him to it gets him hip it gets him hip uh adjacent basically so he can yeah. and if he's hip adjacent with a guy or better that's it's ball game essentially you need a help defender to stop that um, so he'll get, if he has the first step, if he's got good burst on the first step, he can, he can get to the guy's hip essentially. Um, that's when the stop and start game comes in because he can kind of manipulate his defender to create his leverage, whether he's going to finish or whether he's going to go around, um, that help defender for that baseline, uh, ball reversal to the corner essentially. Um, so all of it is about the manipulation, but it starts with that first, that first burst you're talking about right there, you know? Um, and I think the yeah. play you're talking about where he finished, you know, off two feet in, um, off the glass, uh, that was a really good stop and start play right there. Cause he got that first step. He got the blow by essentially, but he, you know, he slowed up to create the contact and then he used the contact as kind of like forward momentum, um, to create even more space, you know, where they have the elbow there extended and they kind of feel the defender off a little bit. Um, and then, and, you know, and then he's real. And then as a point guard, he's, he's really good at elevating on his shots, like not just layups, but jump shots too. And so if he can create leverage and use that to get into his elevation, he's really hard to stop at that point. You don't see him getting rejected very often because of the way he can manipulate his defender and the way he can elevate. Well, and um, that, that was a tough angle the way, where he used the glass on that and where yeah. he finished that. And we've seen him, he's missed that kind of shot quite often earlier in the year where he uh, it's a tough angle and he ends up putting the ball over the basket or whatever. Um, and um, so that is kind of like just the sense for finishing and the, the when to go, when to, it just seemed like he was a little off early on. And tonight he looked like he was kind of in control from start to finish. And even during that slow start, he missed the first open three, um, the catch and shoot one. Um, and then after that, he wasn't, particularly involved very much i thought in that start it, it, they had a lot of it denzel was getting wide open a lot and taking a lot of shirt shots early on and so even when they were struggling early on it wasn't like he was playing poorly he just didn't have the ball very much 
So when he came back in for that second stint, um, then suddenly is that's when he took over. He's like, all right, enough of this. Um, it's time to get time to put this game uh, uh, in, a, in our control here and um, kind of play the way we need to. So um, that's ultimately that's the most important thing heading into the rest of the season and into the postseason is you need you need the Marcus that controls the game and can uh, kind of do whatever he wants out there. If you've got that, then you can kind of figure out the rest. You can figure out, okay, we need Denzel this game. We need Mitch this game. You can kind of piece together all the other pieces. You need Mitch or Marcus to be a consistent difference maker if you want to make a deep run. And he only had 13 points and four assists tonight, but he looked good doing it, and they didn't need him to do more. Yeah, and I think, you know, his defense is really – he's playing really well at a high level on both ends of the floor too. So when he's in control of the game, it's – it's it's showing in Creighton's performance because they're not chasing the game anymore. They're not, they're not going through these ruts. They're not going through these, these stretches where the opponent is kind of putting them on tilt. Um, you know, even when Villanova got out to the hot start, they were matching Marcus. You know what I mean? Creighton wasn't chasing that game in the first five minutes. Villanova was scoring, but Marcus wasn't, they weren't stopping Marcus at all. So it was almost like that game was teetering for Villanova. Cause then when everybody else started getting involved, then the game got, then the crate started putting some distance between them and Villanova. And then, you know, the second half turned into what it was when Mitch started going off. So that's what I mean. That's what, that's what Creighton's like starting lineup can do because they have, they don't just have scoring balance. They have guys who can go off at, you know, and they've all done it this year so far. I mean, I don't know if there's a five man in this league who can guard Christian. I thought Jeremiah. I thought Jeremiah Robinson Earl was the guy to buck that trend, but he can't. He couldn't even do it. So yeah. I don't. I you know, and we're getting close to you know all conference uh, honors territory here. And that's, I know that I know they don't do by positions anymore, and I understand yeah. that, and I I like it like that. I think that's fine. But if if you're if you're putting five guy if you're putting a five man on there, you better start with Christian because. Not only is he really good defensively, and I'm talking like elite good defensively because of what he can do in terms of his versatility, guarding ball screens, guarding perimeter players, um, and then also being tough and strong and long in the post. Um, he can't. No one can guard him at his position. No one. There, I just don't know there's a guy who can stop him. And that's kind of been the, the biggest, I think, difference from the first half of the season to the second half of the season where – Early on, I thought it was mostly he was a finisher and he was kind of the beneficiary. Of yeah, you mentioned else. early on in the, some of those podcasts, yeah. like he doesn't create his own offense as much. Yeah, because yeah. he wasn't. And in, in when they tried, play, he absolutely has. Yeah. And yeah, they tried and they tried to put him in the post a little bit more and tried to have him go to work down there. And he kind of struggled at, at times like that. Um, but he's really settled into that role as kind of the decision maker. And he's so good at reading the fake handoff and then getting he does a great job with that push dribble to where on that first step is that's when he beats a five man. And then suddenly it's nothing between him and the rim. And the one he had tonight was kind of a perfect example of that where he uh, faked the handoff and then really pushed himself ahead. And on that first step, he had uh, his man beat, um, went in for the layup. And a couple of those offensive rebound putbacks where you can just see the length, it, it reaching out, extending and snatching the ball away from a different guy with, maybe better positioning initially. Um, and 
So like he's his kind of his evolution there has been huge for them offensively and to help them kind of get away from that where um, if shots aren't falling, they're going to have a tough time scoring kind of the him and DJ as well. And DJ didn't need to do much tonight, but he had that during that 10 0 run, he had that drive and turn around um, little eight foot jumper that he'd so money with and having that part, the consistency of those two and their ability to create has been huge. I think for creating to kind of weather some of the, the shooting slumps because they haven't been the elite shooting team that uh, they, they got to last season, but they've still been really good offensively because they've been more well-rounded. Well, that's how, <clears throat> that's how well-rounded you, that's... They, had, they had one, two, three, four, five, six guys between nine and 13 points tonight. Yeah. But I mean, that's like, that's how you get through. That's how you win those grinder games where you don't shoot well. You know yeah. what I mean? You have to play good defense. Yeah. But you can also survive a poor shooting night from the outside. If you have guys who can create their own offense off the bounce and get to the rim um, and score either in the mid range area or go all the way to the rim and score. Like you said, DJ's really good in that mid range area, that stop and pop turnaround jumper. Um, Denzel's really strong. He can finish inside. I thought he did a good job driving a little bit tonight. Uh, Marcus, we've already talked about him getting his burst back and his finishing abilities and, um, the finishing, his finishing rate has increased. Uh, Mitch is attacking off the dribble more. And like we're talking about right now, Christian is unguardable in this league by a five man. He can't, he can make plays off the dribble against every single of his peers in this league. So you have – it's not just that you have guys who can score. It's that you have guys who can score in a variety of ways. So it's not just – Creighton isn't just reliant on the jumper anymore. They're not – what did Greg Marshall call it? Suburban horse? That's not – that's not Creighton's offense anymore. When that's going, when that's going, when Creighton is getting the three ball going, they're they're literally on – like that's – you can't beat them almost. That's how good they can be. That's when but, you embarrass the top five team. Yes, yeah. That's when you run a top five team out of the gym when they're shooting like that. But they can also beat you if they're not shooting well from the three-point line because they can score in the other three uh, other two areas of the game and they can get to other spots and, um, you know, create post-up situations yeah. for guys, get in that mid-range area, that little 10-foot in, in, in range, and then Christian can attack off the dribble, DJ can attack off the dribble. I mean, there's just a variety of ways this team – can generate offense for itself. It's not as reliant on the three ball to uh, to win games. Yep. 13 points, two assists, and one turnover on five of seven shooting in 20 minutes. That's what Christian did tonight. And three of three from the free throw line, too. Hit all three of them. So um, that's always a great sign to see. Um, so, that yeah, he's just steady. Like, he's been so good the last however many games. And it's – you talk about the postseason. Creighton is – going to kill itself in terms of postseason honors unless they manage to uh, knock off Villanova again and win the conference because their balance is just so ridiculous. I don't, every game, it feels like a different guy. It's Marcus. No, it's DJ. I know you picked DJ a couple weeks back when, uh, when you're on the pod with John mm-hmm. um, and like Christian's been better than DJ for stretches. Obviously Marcus yeah. has been himself. Like it's, it's going to be tough to you know, the first half of the year. It was DJ. Um, and then it felt like the last three weeks it's been Christian, but while that's been going on, Marcus has also been playing at a high level. 
I mean, it's yeah. just like, I mean, and there were stretches in there where Den two or, you know, there'd be two or three games in there where Denzel would be going off. It's like the names just keep changing. That it's hard, like you said, it's, they're going to hurt themselves almost because they do kind of share, they do kind of share the limelight. You know what I mean? Some, yeah. it's, it's like a different guy almost every night. I mean, haven't, I think last I checked, they'd already, um, they already had all five guys, all five starters have already been the leading scorer in a game, the game high scorer twice this year. And that was like a while back. So it might've changed. Well, I I remember going through um, and counting it up early in the year and how many different guys had, had led them in scoring at that point. And it was almost everybody, um, including a few guys off the bench. Right. Um, And so, so in Christian, been 13 plus points in one, two, three, four, last six games. Um, really? Yeah. But, but, yeah. 14, 14, 14, 17, 16, 13 tonight. And he shot over seven. <laughs> wow. Um, his lowest field goal percentage during that stretch was uh, tonight. At seventy-one point four percent, he's what, been he missed two shots. Five, he was five of seven. That's been, the first he's been five of seven twice during that stretch, and that's oh his worst. God. He shot, he shot that's better insane. than seventy-one percent in his last six games. That's insane. And he, and he hit all shooting. Three, he 70, hit all three free throws tonight too. Yeah, he's shooting seventy percent overall from this season. Uh, as a six-seven-five man. Yeah, dude. That yeah, that's absurd. What I mean. That's what I mean. But in. On top of that, he should have been um, Big East Player of the Week the year the week David Duke won it. Yeah, like the even yeah. even even with Marcus as National Player of the Week, I thought Christian was. Yeah. <clears throat> Christian you, had two shot. Yeah, Christian shot like eighty percent from the field, averaged seventeen and nine, eighteen and nine essentially, and yeah. and outplayed Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Like uh, he, Marcus agreed with you. <laughs> like yeah, he, Mark yeah Marcus signed agreed. that message. Right. So yeah, but and the the other big thing I think with Christian and yeah he's scoring more now, but. He's also rebounding the ball better. And yeah. that's kind of – that's where I think part of him being undersized, it does hurt you um, at times where he just gets the ball taken away from bigger guys. He w- wasn't a high-level rebounder. Do you remember the offensive rebound he had tonight off Denzel's missed corner three in the second half, I think it was? Yeah. Because um, they were going at their own basket in the second half. Where he reached across and took it away, or was it a different? No, one? not that one. Yeah, three of them. Okay. It was yeah. So Denzel was shooting. So Denzel caught it in the corner, wide open rhythm three, right? Yeah. And because Christian knows, like this is again, this is how smart he is, because that's how that's the reason he's an unguardable five man at six foot seven in the Big East is because he's incredibly intelligent. So he knows how to. We talked about Marcus manipulating his defender. Christian knows how to do that too, and he's athletic enough to do it. So but here's how here's Christian's basketball IQ in work right here. He saw Denzel catching rhythm in the corner wide open. If you're a Creighton Blue Jay teammate, what do you think Denzel's doing right there? Like, what are you just trained to know that that what's what's happening he's, in that? He's situation? shooting the ball. He's shooting, he's the, shooting ball. the ball. Yeah. So what Christian does is he kind of like creates some space from his man right there and like repositions himself in in a perfect box out situation. So it's like it was a little bit of a swim move, but he, he did a little bit of like, you know, kind of pulled the chair out and then did the swim move to create space. And then he used his hip to, to just, just just to completely discard the defender. And he caught – Denzel missed that shot, and he caught a clean offensive rebound and stuck it back right away. And I'm just like, that's just intelligence right there. Because physically, he's not 
only he's not only capable of doing that physically. He also has to be smart about it because that's how he would pick up fouls before early in his career, right? He would try so hard to get that rebound, but he wouldn't be smart enough to know how to manipulate the angle to do it. So he would just eventually he would just go over the back or get a silly foul, that type of deal. Yeah. Like he's learned how to play at that level against bigger, um, bigger players. And that right there was a perfect example of it because he had to create space to create the angle, to get in front of his man, to box him out, to get the rebound, to put it back. That's two it's, points right there. That's valuable. Yeah. That's that's a two-point yeah. possession. I know it's not three, but 2.0 points per possession is also pretty valuable. So, like, that's a that's that's Creighton stealing points right there because Christian's really smart. And he's at 8.2 boards a game over this last six-game stretch playing 26 minutes a game. That's crazy. That's pretty good. That's he's crazy. Got two, two ten, uh, he's had two double-doubles during that stretch, two near-double-doubles. Uh, and tonight he only had six boards, but three of them were offensive and he only played 20 minutes because they didn't need him to play more than that. They wanted to get Jacobs some run. So yeah. uh, he, he's, yeah, he's playing the best basketball of his life right now um, at the best time for sure. Yep. Let's uh, let's jump into questions here. We got a few, but I think some of them will be pretty good. Um, yeah, I think ones. we covered everything <laughs> This yeah. game for the most part. Yeah, I don't think we left anybody on the turn. We got the bench. We got Christian, Marcus. Yeah. Charlie Moore. Um, uh, so the first question is from Andrew Berkland. Uh, let's see. Walk online did pretty well against a preseason all-conference guard. Um, well, yeah. I mean, the first problem is right there is that Charlie Moore isn't. I mean, he is preseason all-conference, but he's not an all-conference guard. So. Yeah, but I thought, you know, I just think I thought everybody played well in their roles tonight. You know what I mean? That's what we were talking about earlier. But even those those walk-ons, it's good. That's what that's what's been missing maybe from this season is Creighton hasn't. I said Creighton. I said earlier that Creighton has kind of normalized whipping ass. They haven't whipped ass to the degree that they've had a lot of walk-on run. I think you know the the first three first three games of the year, the walk-ons got some run. Yeah. Or maybe maybe the first two or the second the third the second and the third against UNO UNO and Kennesaw State they got some run um, against Nebraska they got some run uh, Seton Hall but other than that there hasn't really been like a lot of opportunities for Creighton that Creighton hasn't really put it on put it on people uh, plus they've been trying to get the bench some reps those 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 reserves that they're going to need so they've used those uh, mop up minutes for those guys instead so yeah it was good to see. You know, Nick Zile, Jack Canfield, Devin Davis. Uh, did Sammy play tonight? Yeah, Sammy played. Sammy did, and yeah. uh, and Andrew Murfeld. Oh, and Murfeld, yeah. So it's just yep. good to get those guys in because, like, you know, scout teamers uh, don't get talked about a lot, but they're pretty important to the success of the team. I mean, oh. they're the guys who get everybody locked in. Uh, they're the guys who are at pra- – they're the first ones to show up to practice um, to get prepared to get the other team's playbook – locked into their own heads so they can execute it properly to give their team uh, the best shout out, the best look at it in simulation in practice. And uh, I think what you, you said, Max said, or Max said in the post game, what you said, he said on the, on the TV broadcast that he actually started calling or he called like one of DePaul's plays for his, for his scout team because they knew that play better than their own Creighton's offense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which kind of gives you an idea of what I'm talking about right there. I, I hope it was the play that led to Jacobs three. <laughs> that that would be awesome if they scored <laughs> on DePaul be. with yeah. a DePaul play. 
that was a nice pass from Devin Davis. So good to see him kind of back in the mix. I know mm-hmm. he had been out for a brief time. Um, good to see Andrew Murfeld healthy, who was out early in the season. Yep. Um, he stepped in and played in a couple of games earlier. So um, yeah, it's good. It's good to get those guys opportunity. And like I said, three, they played three minutes, uh, only got outscored by one while DePaul had starters still out there. So. Yeah. Uh, next question is from your buddy, Danny Sullivan. After, <laughs> after, <laughs> after suggesting we should not have you on the podcast, uh, he owes you an apology for that because we got you a win. Um, but he wants to know what are some positive takeaways if you're a DePaul fan? Uh, I guess my first question would be, is there a DePaul fan? Is that a thing? Is it? Is yeah. Cause the, the funny so, thing is like the, the rank of all first. Yeah, the rank to Paul thing last year was people like Alex Sindelar and uh, just more general college basketball fans. It was it wasn't uh, DePaul's own fans that were driving that. Yeah, it was a, uh, shit, it was a shit posting trolls, is what it was. Hundred percent. So yeah. uh, that's I I don't think I've ever met a DePaul fan. Me either. Uh, but I people go to their games. Like they don't sell out the place, but I have seen True. people in their building. So I'm going to assume there are some DePaul fans. Yep. I don't know how rabid they are, how many there are, but they exist. Yeah. Um, that's fair. So, uh, so yeah, they, what are Romeo the Weems hit what two the, threes. Did Romeo hit? All right, Romeo. He was two or four from three. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's go through this here. What are some positives? Positive takeaways for DePaul. Oh boy. Uh, this is a rough box score. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's it. Romeo Reams was two or four from three. Um, man, I there is there are none right here, are there? I can't even no. fake. I can't even fake one. Yeah. No. You want to pull up uh, the first game uh, between DePaul and Korean? We can try to take some positives from that one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, um, how about you mentioned this? Charlie Moore this? got hot last game? Yeah, Ray uh, Ray Salnave. Uh, David Jones, Kobe. El- How about this? Okay, I got one. Kobe Elvis. Uh, Kobe Elvis. Um, so you know Charlie Moore lit up St. John's and won Biggie's Player of the Week, right? And yeah. he kind of he kind of knocked Kobe Elvis out of the rotation a little bit. Like I think Kobe only played single digit minutes against St. John's because Charlie was playing at a really high level. Um, but Kobe Elvis in the Seton Hall game they lost. It was a really close game, back and forth. They lost that one late. Um, he had nine, a whopping nine turnovers as a starting point guard in that one, and that was a clo- that was a close game they lost. So he had nine turnovers as the main uh, primary ball handler in that one. Uh, tonight, in 16 minutes off the bench, he only had one. He actually had two assists, one turnover. Hey, so Kobe, um, Kobe Elvis got was right side up and assisted turnover yeah. ratio tonight. After after turning it over nine times, the last game he essentially played a lot of minutes. So yeah, good for Kobe. Uh, There's my positive takeaway. Shout out to uh, Oscar Lopez Jr. dropping the triple nickel. Five points, five boards, five fouls in 17 minutes. Okay. He was really getting his money's worth out there. There you go. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, there's I don't even know who this Macaulay person is. Uh, Oh yeah, the Curvassier Macaulay guy. Yeah, he was only he was only minus one. He was only minus one in twelve. He had seven points. Yeah. Hit three of his five shots. Okay. Um, there's some stuff there. Got in there at the end and Made some buckets. Um, what was the score of last year's game? And his name was Curvassier, or how you say it? His name's Curvassier. Uh, what the what score was, of what? What was the score of last year's game? What was the final? I can't remember. Last year's or? Yeah, the last the game in Omaha last year. I'm looking it up. Hold on. Uh, 
Let's see. 93-64. So it was a closer game this year. <laughs> yeah, another... They didn't nearly give up 100. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's another positive. Yeah. Let's Actually, I want to go back into that one because I think that one has a, some, some funny stat lines. Um, let me see. 1.185 points per possession was Creighton tonight. Yeah, Creighton, mean, had, Creighton had Creighton had Creighton had 30 points off points off turnovers in that game against DePaul last year in Omaha. Okay. So what they had what they end up with tonight? 18. Okay. So DePaul cut the points and turnovers in half basically tonight from one year to the, one year to the next essentially. So closer close to do reducing it by a third. I, I, I'm giving it, I'm, then, I'm giving it, I'm trend, I'm giving DePaul a, like you know I'm 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 showing DePaul some favoritism, so they, I'm going to say half. They're one three away from cutting it to half, essentially. So, hey, they defended Creighton better than Villanova did. That is okay. going to be my final positive for them. All right, that's pretty good. I think we've done enough to make DePaul feel good on their trip home. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was that was probably the most strenuous um, segment of this podcast ever. Yeah, we really had to. Dig deep to we find did. an answer to that one. And most of that was utter nonsense. <laughs> uh, Which is perfect because that's what that is the perfect description for DePaul basketball. Yeah, for utter sure. nonsense. Yep. Um, Austin Let It Fly CU wants to know 14 straight wins over DePaul just seems unfair. Um, <laughs> but I love it. Uh, has Creighton ever had a longer winning streak over a team in their conference, Mo Valley or Big East? Uh, so I, I, I just kind of skimmed through this. It doesn't look like it. Drake in the 1920s, they beat them 11 straight times in that, <laughs> that you know, from like 1980 to 1930, essentially. Yeah. Um, other than that, no, this is the largest, longest uh, winning streak over a conference foe. Yeah, because um, like we were talking about this earlier, and I said, while Creighton was in the Big East, at least during uh, while I was old enough to have been following it, Nope, there was no real consistent cellar dweller. It, like there has been. You mean the Mo Valley, Valley, right? Yeah, Mo yeah. Val- okay. Yeah. You said Big um, East. Like, oh, when were you not yeah, old enough well, to follow it? Yeah. I covered it. I wasn't old enough, but I covered that movie. Yeah. yeah sorry. That threw, uh, when I was old enough to follow, I was like, yeah. wait, how old are we right now? <laughs> Dang. Uh, but so, yeah, like DePaul has obviously been in the cellar of the Big East for yes. long, to, long before Creighton got to the conference. There, there is no equivalent of DePaul in the Missouri Valley because each team that were really bad for stretches had their run run. Drake had the Adam Emenecker stretch where out of nowhere they were suddenly good and made the tournament and then flopped once they got there. But anyway. Um, they didn't flop. They, that was an awesome game. That yeah, was, they lost. Wasn't it like 110, 108 or something like that? That, was a, <laughs> that game was absurd. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna rewatch that tomorrow. I just out of respect for that. Dang One it. and done. It um, was it was a good game. It was an awesome. It was like a game of the tournament. Yeah. Um. That's man, Jacob with the slander. Uh. Yeah, but you're right though. Like Southern Illinois, yeah. Wichita State, Northern Iowa, Illinois State, um, Evansville. When 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 yeah. he got his first team, first good Creighton team, Evansville was yeah, um, right up there. SMS back when they were SMS was good. I think they made the Sweet 16 in '99 even. Um, so yeah, they had. So yeah, that conference been. cycled. A Bradley, lot better than Bradley made a freaking Sweet Sixteen once, didn't they? Yeah, right? uh, something like that. Yeah. Well, they had a what uh, O'Brien or whatever. Patrick O'Brien, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Then the Warriors oh. draft. Then the then the pre-Steph Warriors draft him like in the lottery he, that year. Yes, he was a lottery pick. Yeah, yeah. Could not play a lick. No, <laughs> could not. But yeah, Bradley was good. Yeah, like they everybody's had a shot. Indiana State. Indiana State won the league when Corver was at Creighton. So Indiana State's had some Swiss tournament. I want to think every Mo Valley team had a run essentially. Yeah. Who yep. didn't? Illinois State I got there. We, Illinois, everybody. That's we've everybody. named every team, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we missed anyone. So I can't even. Yeah, no, that's it. Everybody. Wow. So yeah, that was a remarkably balanced league, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah there hasn't really been a doormat essentially, like as long as DePaul's been a doormat in the Big East. So Creighton was the most consistent thing about the Missouri Valley. Because obviously uh, you had teams like Southern Illinois and Wichita State that maybe peaked a little bit higher than Creighton, but the Jays were the only team that were consistently top four of the conference basically the entire time um, once you got through the, the, the dark days of Creighton, since which happened long before I was following the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so DePaul is the longest winning streak. Um, let's see, where are we at? Mm. Let's do this one first. So Matt, how do you say his last name? Is he your buddy? You used to write with Borgal. his favorite. Yeah, yeah, Matt Borgal. He wants to know which current Blue Jay is in most dire need of a dumb nickname. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Matt, Matt's. Uh, we should. I mean, if we're going to answer this, we have to think of the nickname too, don't we? That's the problem. I'm not very good. Um, yeah. No. Obviously, the the Zeggy Ziggy thing is hate it. Uh, so at least with Zeggy, you're using his name. Ziggy yeah. is just dumb. Right. Um, I I guess because kind of like zigzags out there, a little the the way he changes speeds and directions and all that, maybe kind of. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a stretch. Um, yeah, if Marcus is getting named, I think it's like motherfucker Marcus because he has that look in his eye. <laughs> <laughs> that when he like go when he goes like when he goes into killer mode, that's like I that he's motherfucker Marcus then. So. <sighs> I, but I don't. They can't really say that on television broadcast, though. So. Yeah, no, they cannot. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously, oh, Antoine already has his. Um, yeah, basketball Jones. Alex. Right? Yep. Correct. Um, oh, let's see. Maybe Ryan Kalkbrenner. That he's the guy that I think has the most potential to produce for sure. A, a nickname just based on his physical profile and his game mm-hmm. and his name. Yeah. But I don't know what it is right now. Me um, either. This might be one where I have to flip this back to Matt and have him come back to us with, with some suggestions here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Matt Matt uh, used to be a uh, sports editor at Creightonian. He and I um, worked there together while I was in school. He's a year ahead of me. So um, he was he enjoyed himself some coming up with some dumb nicknames for Creighton during those years. So um, nice. Yeah. I think I think that's probably where you go is Ryan Kalkbrenner and try to come up with something there, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, sorry. We, I, it's tough answering that question because I really wish we could come up with a nickname, but it's yeah, yeah it's hard to do it justice because I don't want it to pick up and then um, it'd be bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, let's see. This might be our big talker, big talking point right here. Yeah, so um. Let's see which one I want to read. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a couple of these. Yeah, so I'm going to read Martin Swanson's question. So uh, it's basically all I have to do with CBS was <laughs> – we'll get into it. Uh, explain the gushing over North Carolina Duke 
when a Marquette when Marquette handled them tonight. Wait, I'll take this ESPN follow up. Why doesn't the Big East get credit for the top to bottom difficulty the same way the quote unquote other conferences do? Well, the answer is actually the same ESPN. So, um, <laughs> same answer to both questions. Yeah. So he, you know what's funny? You know, before we get into this, you know what was funny about Jerry Palm? So Jerry, like, forget forget who it is. Like, just if you're a bracketologist and you you watch college basketball and you watch all these teams and you analyze them and you try to figure out where they fall on seed lines, where they belong in terms of the pecking order. If you're going to say, like, I I just feel like if if you're watching Creighton and you're like, that's a seven seed, that's one thing, but I would not want people broadcasting that on national television. Well, the funny thing don't put my name on that shit because that's embarrassing. Yeah, a seven. Like I, I I've been laughing about this, the seed stuff, this whole because I just don't understand how it's not just that. Listen, I understand the net arguments and all that. Even though we're in a freaking year where I don't even know why people don't understand this, we're in a season where those metrics are massively flawed. You've got teams coming out of pauses. You've got players unavailable for practice. You've got teams playing with half their rosters. Um, you have no home court advantage anywhere, essentially. Yeah, you could argue Creighton's playing in front of 2,000. Is that the home court advantage we know Creighton to have? No. So stop it. Like, you can overcome 2,000 fans. Let's, let, let's knock it off. Like, I just don't understand why everyone has la- has used the net so religiously this year when it was going to be the year of the eye test. Finally, finally, the eye test was going to have its day where you actually had to watch basketball and analyze it and be like, you know what? That team is really good. Um, regardless of what kind of ruts they go through, they're an NCAA tournament team. They're an elite team. You know what I mean? I just, the, the eye test finally had its day and it's like, nope, well, you finally have embraced the metrics. We finally have embraced advanced analytics. Now we're all, all in now. And it's like, Creighton's not a freaking seven seed. Like that's so, just absurd. Uh, that's absurd. My, my favorite, my favorite part was the studio guys were even kind of making a joke out of it. They kept mentioning it. Yeah, how they had him there, and like because even those guys don't believe it, even though they're they have to because it's their own guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry Palm is a CBS guy, so they have to use his uh, projections, even though he is one of the worst mainstream guys out there. He was. I looked it up on the uh, the bracket uh, on the bracketmatrix.com. Bracket uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, last five year bracket matrix matrix rankings. Eh. Got a list of 133 brackets here that they scored. It's just there's just too many of those. First of all, there's too many of those people. Yes, That's I had to scroll a long time to before I found Mr. Palm down here at 85 out of 133. Yeah, so not even top half um, and let alone top echelon where uh, you feel good about the, the projection. So, and it, it's, uh, it seems, I don't know. It seems like he's stuck on Q3 home loss being a disqualifier for Creighton's residence yeah. where yeah. you met like home road, whatever. It's all the same this year. Um, and like you said, there's so much that goes into, playing basketball this year they, they've got uh they're sitting at what four or five losses um like Creighton? five yeah 
They're yeah. seventeen and five, so, and thirteen and four yeah. in the league. Yeah, that's a thirteen and four, pretty, and like basically, basically first place in the Big East, and seven seed. I, you kidding and me? So, and that's so. I uh, my buddy Andrew also asked me because he was confused, like, where's the seven seed coming from? And it's because Palm is the outlier here on bracket matrix where they add them all together and then kind of put out the projections. I believe there are five um, coming into yeah. tonight. That's kind of in the range they were. So they went out, they, they finished strong here. You got a chance to move up to that four, three range mm-hmm. um, to have them. He's had, he, he had them as an eight, I think. And then they beat Villanova and so, and somehow there's still only a seven. Villanova's <laughs> <So. laughs> <laughs> a two, by the way. That is just absolute silliness, man. Absolute silliness. I just don't even yeah. – I don't know how to – they showed – what they showed – they showed his uh, top 16 tonight. Yeah. He has Oklahoma in the two line in Gonzaga's region or whatever, so basically the worst two essentially. I, yeah. hope. I hope he has Gonzaga as the number one overall seed. But uh, – <laughs> Well, I mean, Butler – or Butler. I didn't get it Baylor. Um, yeah. Yeah, Baylor Gonz- – Baylor could end up jumping Gonzaga just based off of the resume they're going to be able to put together because of their conference yeah, and sure. the way they are playing. I mean, they're top five in offense, defense for in that range too. So, yeah. but it's, it's, it doesn't really matter. One, two, like they're both very de- deserving, but he has, uh, but, but still he has Oklahoma on the two line and you're, so you're telling me there's five seed lines separating Creighton and Oklahoma. Is that yeah, like, he, you're supposed to be has, taking this seriously. He has Villanova as a two. And Creighton at a seven. Yeah. And Villanova at 15 and three, 10 and two in conference. Creighton I'll tell you what, man. 17 and five, 13 and four with a head to head win over Villanova. <laughs> Not just Somehow a head to head win, like a head to head whooping. Oh, yeah. Domination. Yeah. yeah. So, it, I'll tell, man, Villanova better kill Creighton in Philly. That's all I got to say. Because otherwise, bracketologists, <laughs> bracketologists across the country are going to be overcorrecting crazy on Creighton. If Creighton goes into Philly and either loses at the wire or beats them again, there's going to be a massive overcorrection on this stuff. Unless they just use that as evidence that Villanova actually wasn't the, the really great Oh, right. They dropped, where they dropped Villanova like, yeah. and they raised Creighton up? Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, that makes sense. Could see that happen because that yeah, the, is yeah, the, the whole, You have the whole problem of the Texas argument then because you want to tell me that Texas yeah. is a crazy good team. Villanova went into their gym and beat them. So yeah. you got a problem so, there. You run into an and, issue. And that is, that is the, the one – that is the thing about – like I – didn't get too worked up about where Creighton was after lo- dropping that well, dude, last I don't bad even loss. Think he's got UConn as like a nine seed in his thing. Yeah, and, uh, uh, and UConn a nine, being, and, and UConn's Xavier being, an eight. UConn's resume is one of the strangest out there because most of their games are played without James Booknight, and the other half are like coming out of these three week pauses. Yeah, but when they were so, when they were when they were rolling when they were starting their season they beat USC on a neutral floor and no one can beat USC now they just killed Oregon like yeah. laughed Oregon out of the gym they beat them so bad yeah. it was like seventeen to one at one point yeah. so like so, USC is really good UConn beat them at full strength UConn's only full strength losses this year are Creighton and Villanova that's it that's it yeah so uh, UConn's not like them some bubble team like UConn's like. If Book Knight plays, if Book Knight is healthy the whole time, they're probably like a five seed. See the problem. See that's see that's the tough part though, is because you have to kind of strike the the, the balance there. But you can't just not count the games that they lost because they had more. There are more of those than there are where they have 
been at full well, strength. You can't just they have you can't right now, take a, a you can't take exactly. So that's what, that's what I'm trying to like. We had this conversation uh, previously when we weren't recording, but right, yeah, I think you just yeah. you get a little worked up now, even though we've got two weeks left um, where a lot can happen. And we saw Seton Hall tonight drop a game they couldn't lose. They're playing themselves out of it. We won't have to worry about them. Yeah, um, and but I mean, but thinking- yeah, that was a you talking about losses to Butler. Creighton lost to, I think maybe Butler didn't have Bo Hodges, so yeah. not quite full strength he, he Butler, but yeah, so he hadn't he hadn't played yet. Um, but they also well, that was, Mark, Creighton didn't have Marcus Zagorowski that game. They lost but, by four yeah. in overtime. Yeah. Seton Hall went in there the other night and lost like going away without Aaron Thompson playing for Butler or Bo Hodges. So yeah, that's a bad loss for Seton Hall. For yeah. Creighton, they didn't have Marcus. Like that has to be taken into account. All these losses you want to call bad losses for Creighton, like the like, like Kansas loss isn't a bad loss. It's a one-point road loss on or a one-point loss on the road. But these bad losses that they have, these four bad losses, these four blemishes, they lost by four in overtime to Butler on the road without Marcus Zagorowski. They lost to Georgetown by seven. They lost to Marquette by five. They lost to Providence by four. It's like, hello. It's not like – it's not they haven't gotten whipped yet this year. When they get whipped, come and tell me because then I'll be like, yeah, okay, maybe they've maybe they just aren't that good. Yeah. No one's and, whipped them yet. And, and the difference now is they do have that going over that that top tier win yeah. to kind of balance that out and to, sh- to prove that they're a really good team that capable of playing at that high level. And now they'll get another they'll get a chance to add that uh, another one of those and they'll get a chance to add the Xavier win which is over another projected tournament team right. to, to close out the season. That'll make their resume that much stronger. Yeah, but even Xavier's Xavier struggling right now out of their pause. So yeah, I bet oh, you, yeah. I bet you if like, Xavier beats – They're going the wrong way. But, I bet you yeah. if Xavier beats Creighton by six points or something in the next few days, uh, that'll be another Creighton – like, Creighton will be downgraded for that too. They're like, oh, man, they lost to a bad – a Xavier team that was heading in the wrong direction. Like, that's a bad loss for Creighton. Like, watch. It'll just – it's weird the way this team is being analyzed this year. Because everybody thought they were like – everybody picked them as like a trendy Final Four pick based on the way they were playing to end last year and just assumed that they were going to start there this year and that there's no reason for any of this – any for them to be – for them to have five losses at this point based on their schedule. And it's like they've played mostly Big East teams and then Kansas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what, what are they supposed to do? They – in the, you know, it's it's it honestly the fact that they didn't get that tournament in South Dakota is probably the mo- the biggest detriment to their whole situation oh, because a hundred percent they didn't get to play Ohio State they didn't get to play South or West Virginia, uh, Memphis like all these Ohio State's on the one seed line right now West Virginia is probably a two or a three, and Memphis is what a top sixty top seventy net like yeah. they, they missed out on a lot of quality game. They got North Dakota State, UNO, and Kennesaw State, and then they had one shot at Kansas, and they lost by one. And, and that's why, uh, like we, we talked after the Marquette game, um, that's why that hurt so much was because they had missed out on their opportunity to pad their resume with really good wins. So if you if you can't uh, tack up or uh, rack up the, the wins against top-tier teams, you just got to stack up the wins and kind of overwhelm them with your body of work and your overall record. And when you – lose to Marquette, you lose to um, Georgetown, you lose to these teams. Now suddenly you just have a, a very good record as opposed to a uh, like gaudy record where it just kind of blows you away with the, the, the winning. Yeah. Um, 
So that, that yeah, losing that, that, that's the huge, I think that's the biggest thing with their resume right now is they have had fewer opportunities to offset those losses that they had. Um, and so like it, Creighton doesn't, at, at the end of the day, we believe like Creighton is 13th in the poll right now. We believe they're a very good basketball team, but it is, you have to go out and earn it to not uh, like it's, like you said, Oh, you got I test the best team. Like, to, yeah, you got to do part of that, but you also have to reward teams that went out and got it done. Um, so that's where the resume comes in versus, um, heck that's where like i know cbs um gary Parrish does his top 25 and one every day based on the resumes and then matt orlander does his own power rankings based on how well teams are playing and they're two separate things um so and that's kind of where creating like we we believe they're probably better than a typical five seed but the resume not be at this point now if they finish the season strong you beat villanova you beat xavier you whether you win the big east conference biggies or make it to the final lose to Villanova or whatever now your resume looks a lot stronger you've got more good wins up there you've got a, a, a better record overall to where now that you kind of the, the resume starts to back up how we feel about this team so that's kind of I think and that's prop that's part of the problem with looking at it week by week and kind of obsessing over what it looks like now is there's still so much that could change um, there's so many data points left that will be significant. Um, and that's kind of why I ultimately was just like, calm down a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't look great right now, but um, these, these teams that we don't feel great about will have a chance to show that, oh, they actually weren't what, uh, what people think of them now. And then look, Alabama went out and lost tonight. Oklahoma lost last night or whenever that was. Um, so these teams that had gotten on hot streaks that had risen up to the two seed area now they're starting to lose games that they probably can't afford to lose and will drop themselves a little bit further down in that discussion. Then you find yourself like, you know, I don't know. I just, again, I think the resume is being weighed too heavily. I just think, but the- I don't, yeah, I, I know it's tough, but it's just like, <laughs> does Creighton feel like a seven seed to you? Do they feel like a five. So- Do they feel like a five. What's what, what I, if they're a five seed? What are you saying? They're in the, they're in they, the 16 to 20 range, 17 to 21 range. Is that what it is? 17 to 20? What's the five uh, seed number? 17, 18, 19, 20, right? Yeah. So if they're a five seed, you're basically saying they're in the 17 to 20 range in the country in terms of what resume only, uh, ability only. Well, it, it's it's resume. That's how it's that's how it like. So that's the that's where the the metrics the KPI and all that factor in uh, Ken Palm and Ned and uh, well, Ned's a little different, but it's where the project pr- predictive metrics like Ken Palm, that's where those factor into kind of part. That's part of your resume is how well are you playing there? And, but also well, on the Ken way Palm, you're playing. Ken Palm tonight, Creighton's 15 with the number 11 ranked offense, number 40 ranked defense. Yeah. So that's not, that's not a five seed. No. And that's, that's it's part a, of this. And it's certainly not a seven. <laughs> yeah. We, we need it. Yeah. I, I don't. T- t- and you have tonight. Or- and you have Loyola Chicago as a nine. Um, you have. I mean, who else doesn't really belong in here? Houston's a Houston's fifth. Like where's Houston on the two line right now? 
I mean, it's just like, you know, Villanova's eight. Do you feel like there's a big gap between Villanova and Creighton right now? If so, which yeah. direction? <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it Villanova ahead of Creighton or is it the other way around? That's what uh, I'm they, saying. They, that rematch in Philly yeah. better look – that rematch in Philly better look a lot like the first game in Omaha from Villanova's perspective um, because that's just not, that's not just – you can't just – I don't want that to be dismissed as matchup-based if it turns out to be the same type of game, yeah. you know, in favor of Creighton because that would be four straight times essentially. Yeah. Where Creighton's outplayed them. So that thing's going to be – that'll. I mean, that honestly, I think Creighton's an NCAA tournament lock right now. And I think the yeah. frustrating part of it is when you watch them and then you see stuff like the nonsense you saw that night where they're projected as a seven seed. When I hear seven seed in late February, I think like bubble team. I think you're right. I think you're two losses away from being in trouble, essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I think automatically. I don't know if I'm wrong, but I automatically think you're not. If I think if you're a seven seed in late February, you're not a lock for the tournament. And, I, and that, to me, registers the crazy bills. Because so I'm like, hello, Creighton is already a lock for the tournament, in my opinion. The only thing that would yeah. stop them is a major injury and a lack of a, lack of a large enough sample size to, to figure out what type of team they are post-injury. But right now, as they're currently constructed, I feel like they're an NCAA tournament lock, not even, cl- not even like without question, right? Am I wrong about that? Yeah. No. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So as seven seed, you're you're basically not even a, a top twenty-five team. You're just outside the top twenty-five. Yeah, and how many uh, at larges are there? There's thirty-four, thirty-two. Something, yeah, something. Yeah, I always forget the number. Uh, yeah, thirty-six um, probably right. Yeah, there's sixty-eight teams that make it. Thirty-six at larges. Yeah. So if you're not even in the top, so if you're in that, if you're not even in the top twenty-five, then you're in that grouping of like twenty-seven to thirty-six, right? Which means you're pretty close to the bubble. And I just don't so, think I don't think when you watch Creighton that they look like anything close to a bubble team. They look yeah, like a so lock. Just to put a bow on this. One, don't pay attention to Jerry Palm. Do not let him get you fired up because he is the outlier right now. Mm-hmm. You look at most of the other, they have Creighton in that five range. I think Lenardi had him as a four, um, which is uh, ahead of where most others have him. So if you want to freak out about uh, Palm, go look at Lenardi instead. Uh, you'll feel a little bit better there. Um, so one, don't pay attention, Jerry Paul Two, Creighton's got uh, a chance here to really improve their resume. If they win, just win, win these games. And we're not going to be talking about a seven. We're going to be talking about uh, a three, four or five seed. Um, and that's a much better discussion. I think that better, uh, represents what kind of team Creighton is. Right. Um, and I'm going to go bad angel on this one and say, all of you that are upset should uh, start your own websites, start your own blogs, and make this your first post where you just uh, basically um, trash bracketology <laughs> and where Creighton falls in it. <laughs> let that be your let that be your initial post. Introduce yourselves to the world, everybody. Branch out. Let your voices be heard. Um, uh, Jacob, I appreciate you hopping on here and uh, having another late night hoops chat with me. Um, it's always fun talking with you, whether we're recording or not. Uh, so yeah, look, uh, always, as always follow Jacob's work at hailvarsity.com, uh, with Nebraska's basketball schedule these days, he's basically working every other day. Um, so there's always something to follow. Um, and then, uh, check out our post game coverage and everything else on white and blue review, uh, basketball, uh, this game tonight, women's basketball plays UConn tomorrow. Oh to one. Yeah. It's tomorrow the 25th. Yep. 
Today's the 25th, right now. Yeah, it is after midnight, Matt. Yeah, so the Paige Becker show, number one UConn, is coming to Omaha tomorrow. Uh, if UConn wins that game, they clinch the Big East title, so you might be watching, <laughs> be following history if that's the way it goes, or Creighton can play the spoiler. Who knows? Um, uh, women's soccer starts their season tomorrow afternoon. Men's soccer already did start their season. They beat Marquette in overtime, uh-huh. or double overtime. Um, so, yeah, everything. baseball is going to start on Friday, so – a whole lot of stuff to follow at white and blue review. Um, and we have this, we'll have this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud tomorrow to Boria, probably maybe later tonight. If you're still up at 2 AM looking for a podcast to listen to before bed. And uh, yeah. And then we'll have new episodes of Scurry in the Scrub every weekend or every week. So check out the last episode. We talked to Simon Gersberg from shotquality.com. Really good insight on the, basically the newest metric making the rounds in college basketball. Um, a lot of coaches will are not only attest to it, but they use it themselves for their programs. So, and some NBA teams even do too. So, check that out. Check out that podcast. Uh, um, see what you think of it. Let us know. Um, in the meantime, thank you for your questions. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for following. Uh, really appreciate your feedback as always. Uh, we will talk to you. Uh, when does Xavier? What is Creighton and Xavier play? Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, we'll talk to you Saturday, everybody. Have a good week.